Welcome to Out of the Lab, a podcast interviewing entrepreneurs who've taken research out of the lab and built it into a company that's serving the world. These entrepreneurs are heroes, and the planet needs more of them. So tune in, learn from their successes and failures, and get inspired. Visit Bountiful.org to join our community and realize your power to save the world. Hello and welcome to Out of the Lab. I'm your host, Max Finder. Today's guest is Carl Scholhammer. He is the co-founder and president of Suono Bio. Suono is a preclinical stage uh, startup company focused on the ultra rapid delivery of novel therapeutics to the GI gastrointestinal tract. So it actually is a pretty cool technology. They use ultrasound to deliver drugs through the skin. So the first thing that they were targeting is uh, irritable bowel disease like Crohn's, colitis, things like that. And they can deliver drugs by actually passing an ultrasound over the skin. Um, What's very cool about this is Carl developed this technology out of Langer Lab. So Carl was a PhD student and postdoc with Professor Bob Langer. We talk a lot about Bob Langer in this episode because obviously he had a very... um, uh, strong influence on Carl and on Suono Bio. Uh, Professor Bob Langer is apparently the most cited engineer in history. Um, he has uh, 800 papers. Uh, these are even old figures, and we talk about it in the episode, but something like 800 papers, 500 patents, 60 researchers at any given time in his lab. He's probably had a thousand researchers that have gone through his lab. He's led to, he's created over 40, something like that, startup companies, hundreds of licensing deals for the technologies that develop in his lab. So we talk a lot about why it's so successful, his lab, um, what it was like being in there, what it's like working with Bob Langer, um, and a lot about Suono Bio and the the path that they took and how they had everything, according to Bob Langer, to Professor Langer, of what's required for a successful company. So a, a platform, patents, and papers. So we get into the, the weeds on that. Carl has t- tons of great advice for uh, young scientists and grad students and how to build a business uh, out of an invention like Suono Bio. So tune in, enjoy, visit bountiful.work for more and to join our community and enjoy the episode. Thanks. Carl, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I would love to hear I guess at the beginning, right? So you did your PhD and your postdoc training in um, Langer Lab, as the, you know, the uh, infamous Langer Lab. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit even about that. So for, for folks of, you know, yeah. for some of our listeners who don't know, Professor Bob Langer, Robert Langer is, I think, and I, I, d- I dug this up from the Harvard case study on his yeah, that, commercial. That, that's like a, a little old now. And then they I did, guess they did so. a, a new one. They did a new one like uh, two years ago. So I have to but access that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. He, he's the, uh, I think, most cited engineer in history. He holds either the most number of patents or second and second. If he's second, it's only to Thomas Edison. Um, he has just, you know, transformed medicine. I mean, his, his, his and his trainees work have, you know, resulted in just I mean, I think like 40 plus companies licensed or sub-licensed patents to, you know, hundreds of companies um, and, and ultimately created 
you know, a wide range of, of therapeutic products that are in the clinic today helping people. Um, just a prolific, prolific uh, inventor, academic mentor, um, has had, I think, over a thousand, you know, trainees through his lab now at this point. Um, yeah, just, just a, a very unique individual, to say the least. And, and so one of those companies was Suono Bio, which you are the co-founder and CTO of. Um, yes. and, and we'll get into that. I'd love to hear more about the technology itself, but I, I even love to start with like the kernel of the formation. So you're a postdoc in Bob Langer's lab. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, so, yeah, go ahead. So I, I started my PhD um, at MIT in 2010. Um, and I knew, I knew Bob was famous, but I didn't know how famous he was. And, you know, what that meant was, I think, I think some people go to his lab, you know, with the idea of, you know, Bob starts companies, I'm going to start a company, boom, boom, boom. I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't really have that vision. I was like, I don't, I don't want to be an academic. I don't want to become a professor. But I, I didn't specifically think I was going to start a company. So, you know, I started in Bob's lab, started working on a, a translational project to, you know, looking at drug delivery and getting drugs across uh, various tissues. So skin, as well as GI tract, and using ultrasound specifically to do it. And Bob and colleagues had kind of a long-standing collaboration of using ultrasound for a delivery to the skin. You know, achieve, basically breaking down the skin barrier to allow drugs through the skin with the idea of replacing needles. And I'm working on this. Um, and I thought, you know, this, this works really well. Why can't we use it in other places? And at the same time, I met, a, uh, at the time, he was a postdoc, a Gio Traverso, who was a clinical gastroenterologist. He was doing his kind of research fellowship year. So we thought, you know, why, why don't we start applying this to the GI tract, this ultrasound technology uh, for drug delivery? Um, and long story short, it just, it just worked. You know, what we found was the ultrasound could deliver anything, could deliver small molecules, deliver proteins and biologics, you know, that today are limited to injection. It could even deliver, you know, nucleic acids. I mean, everyone's familiar with mRNA now because of COVID and, you know, the lipid and having to, you know, wrap this mRNA in a lipid to protect it and make it deliverable. You know, we were finding back in Bob's lab that we could deliver even mRNA, this huge, huge molecule, super delicate. We could deliver it to the GI tract with no lipid, no encapsulation, no formulation at all. And in science, those, you know, those things don't happen. Like every time we tried something new, it just worked. It worked the first time. And again, that, that just doesn't happen in science. And so it was really a result of that and kind of the science just working uh, that was you know, like a giant neon sign, like, hey, company here. Um, there seemed to be something pretty special here, something pretty impactful here. Uh, and, th and that's what really turned us to, hey, maybe, maybe we do need to spin this out and create a company here and do something bigger with this. And, and just so we, um, if we were telling a kindergartner about what the technology does, yeah. <laughs> it's the ability to deliver drugs through the skin. So to access, for instance, the, G the GI tract to somebody's stomach or whatever, you can using an ultrasound, basically deliver medicine through the skin. Yeah, so, so ultrasound is just this, this incredible technology that's been around for decades clinically. It's used for, you know, most people think of it for imaging, you know, imaging um, uh, a baby in the womb, for example, and that's at really high frequencies. 
at low frequency, actually just above basically the limit of, of our hearing. So tens of kilohertz. Um, you get this phenomenon known as uh, cavitation. So basically the ultrasound, if it's being emitted through a solution, say like that imaging jelly, you apply it through a jelly or a solution, it spontaneously nucleates these little bubbles. And these bubbles swirl around and they eventually get too large. They can't, they can't basically sustain their size anymore and they implode. So the surrounding solution rushes in and basically creates this little jet. And it's these jets that achieve the delivery. So in the case of, of skin, you apply the ultrasound basically directly on the skin and these little jets uh, very gently basically scrub away the top layer of the skin, which is the most significant barrier. And now the skin is permeable and you can you know, put drugs through it. In the GI tract, again, it's, it's actually local administration. So we've subsequently uh, built out a bunch of form factors and things for applications of different parts of the GI tract, but it is local um, application basically. And in the GI tract, you're not breaking down the barrier actually, you're acting directly on the drug. And basically those bubbles act to physically just push the drug in. So if you can think of it like kind of little miniature micro injections you know, just gently injecting the drug right into the, the GI mucosa, the tissue. And just for the, uh, for the listeners, that's not Carl's stomach growling. That is your dog growling. Yeah. So it's not oh, your GI tract. Apologies track. again. That, that, yeah, that's the dog I'm trying to try to clatter down. So no, no problem. Chest rubs, which are magical. It's, it's a growling, you know, it sounds like a growling stomach. So I thought it was quite uh, relevant yeah. in a way. <laughs> Perfect. Got the sound uh, effects taken care of. Yeah. So if we think back, I mean, was this like an idea that you came with to the lab or this was one of the ideas? Like, I'm even curious the mechanics of the lab and how it um, fosters all of these different uh, startups that come out of it. You know, one of the things well known about the lab is that it's diverse. People say there's diverse backgrounds Mm -hmm. in order to tackle difficult problems. And it's this kind of cross collaboration of expertise that leads to all of these different uh, breakthroughs. it's, it's even a model that I heard about, for instance, this company Databricks at, at, out of UC Berkeley. Um, they designed some of their labs in a way where there's collaboration across disciplines. Um, so it sounds like that's yeah. the way the lab operates. I mean, you, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and, and yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah very, very much so, you know, and I, and I think it ultimately comes from, you know, Bob's background. I mean, he'll, he'll always say when he was doing his own, uh, PhD in chemical engineering, you know, at, at kind of around graduation, all his friends went to the oil industry. And that was a really common, um, you know, thing to do. And he just didn't want to do that. And he, you know, had the, the kind of the off chance of uh, meeting um, a professor, uh, Judith Folkman, who um, actually gave him a chance and said, you seem like, you know, a unique person. And you know, let me take a chance on you. And they started this uh, line of research for angiogenesis inhibitors, basically inhibiting the production of blood flow in, in tumors and things. But, you know, Bob was, that was, that was not a known path, a chemical engineer doing something in kind of life science, health. Um, and then even when he first started his lab, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll tell you, you know, straight up that he just had failure after failure. His grants weren't funded. You know, the, he was in, at, at, he started at MIT in like the, food science department. And that was just because no one knew what to do with him. 
And even in the food science department, they're like, you, you don't seem to be making it. You should probably look for a new job. Um, but it was this persistence and, you know, ultimately he, he got a grant, he got you know, another grant and, you know, things started turning the corner, but, you know, that really impacted him. He saw that, you know, you, you need people who think in different ways. And so when he started building his lab, I think almost from the beginning, you know, he's had, um, biologists, uh, chemists, you know, an electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, and all these people who, you know, maybe traditionally people would look at it and say, well, this is, this is, uh, you know, this doesn't make any sense. This is just a random, you know, collection of people. But, you know, that's how you do really impactful science. You have a bunch of people who think about problems from different directions and as a result can do really interesting things. And now you see that trend today in a huge way. You mentioned Berkeley. I, I did my undergrad there. You know, they built um, a, a center basically to try and, you know, co-house different disciplines with the hope that, again, they bump into each other and you get this, you know, synergy. MIT with the Koch Institute, actually, where, you know, where, where the department that Bob's in or one of the departments Bob's affiliated with, you know, it's kind of a similar approach, you know, trying to put multiple disciplines under one roof you know, kind of mostly working on cancer and things like this to really get that cross-pollination. And, you know, I, I hate, it's overused, I hate to say it, but the synergy basically of all these different, um, you know, trainee backgrounds, you know, tackling a problem from different directions. Yeah, I wonder in the age of Zoom, how that can be potentially replicated. Um, yeah. And so this, this, this is, and so an example of that is you and Geo, a gastroenterologist, collaborating. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So, so I started the lab. I mean, I'm traditionally at Berkeley. I was a chemical engineer at MIT. I was in the chemical engineering department. You know, Geo's a, he, he has a PhD as well um, uh, in, in biology from uh, uh, UPenn. Um, you know, but he's a gastroenterologist. And then, you know, we had... Um, a material scientist uh, down the hall that we that we worked a bit with, um, and then another engineer, and so it was, um, you know, just this kind of like weird collection of of, of people, if you will, um, you know. But Gio has just tremendous insight, you know, having done a PhD and obviously the clinical practice now. Like, what is needed in the clinic, and how do you do things? And you have Bob, obviously, who's you know been thinking sort of outside of the box now, just for you know his his whole career. Um, and everyone else in that lab, and you know, you can you can do really special things with that. Yeah, and and Geo, it, it sounds like you know we on other people on this podcast have talked about the importance of engaging with industry at a very early stage and kind of your customer, right? Because you can learn so much. So, in a sense, Geo with is the one with this um, practical experience for yeah. this problem. So he understood the problem very well. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, you can, you can do a lot of things in a lab. Uh, you know, we've cured cancer in mice. So, you know, you could, you could do other things kind of in a lab that, that might not really have relevance to, to people, you know, or their specific disease for just a variety of factors. So, you know, thinking about Back to this technology, when you know, in 2011, we started doing it for for GI tissue, and we're like, wow, we can we can just deliver everything. Well, we're thinking, you know, what do you do with that? 
And I had a lot of ideas, but from an academic, oh, you know, I read, read the paper, read this, read that, heard about this disease. Um, you know, but Gia was really instrumental in saying, you know, look, for there's, this, there's a disease state called inflammatory bowel disease. You have patients who basically have just severe inflammation of the GI tract. They need really high concentrations of anti-inflammatories locally at the sites of the inflammation within their GI tract. This ultrasound technology seems to, you know, really rapidly deliver high local concentrations of drug. We can deliver an anti-inflammatory. You know, why don't we actually target that? And then within that, there's even further details. You know, how do you do it? How do you administer it? You know, how would a patient use it? That, you know, an engineer myself, you know, would, would never realize or appreciate, you know, if you don't have a clinical viewpoint, if you don't have a direct patient, you know, viewpoint. Um, and so that is, that is critical. And I'd say that's another piece that, you know, Bob has fostered, you know, working closely, uh, you know, with, with clinicians, with the medical school, because um, again, there, there's a lot of things you can do in a lab that are ultimately irrelevant to, uh, to, to a patient population. Yeah. And so can we break down some that, that journey from looking at the success of this in a lab to starting this, to figure out the clinical application and, and implications of it. Um, you know, I, I read this quote that Bob said specifically about Suono Bio's technology. Uh, it's a, a platform technology with, it, it's, it, it has all the elements of, of a successful company, a platform technology with potentially broad utility, proof that it works in animal models, powerful patents, and publications in top tier journals. I mean, I think we can, we'll get to that, but I'm curious about the decision that says we have something here. You know, we need to create a spinoff. Um, not just the lab demonstration, but also, you know, yeah, the, the application step. to clinicians. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, so, so when, when things were just <laughs> just working to be, to, to be kind of a high level, which is um, lucky, by the way, right? I mean, it, things don't always just work. Oh, but it, yeah, it never, it never works. And yeah, it's complete. You know, I, and I, and I always make sure to try and caveat like this is, you know, I'm not some great. I mean, Bob and Gio are great scientists. I'm not per personally, you know, a great scientist. So it's not like I was doing some amazing thing and it, and it works because of me. Like, this is pure sheer dumb luck, and also just leveraging, you know, decades of, of Bob's work on on ultrasound specifically for for the you know skin work. But yeah, it, it doesn't happen. And so that's why it's so rare. I mean, when we were looking to deliver RNA, I remember, you know, this is something that, you know, I, I'd say Bob and Gio as well, but like, I didn't think it would work. And I don't think any of us thought this would work. You know, RNA is a huge molecule. It's so delicate. And not only does it have to get, you know, kind of into tissue, it has to get into individual cells to exert its therapeutic benefit. And this is you know, the case with mRNA. It has to get into a cell to be utilized. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And so I did this experiment with the ultrasound in, in animals. And I just started with a disease model and a relevant RNA that, you know, that, that should have had therapeutic benefit. So I basically went like to the end goal at the start. And I did this experiment. I had Almost a, naively in a way. I mean, not naive, like it, it all made sense. Okay, like it made sense I, on paper. Whether, whether, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I'm doing it in, a, in an animal model that is a disease. The RNA, I'm, you know, I, I chose, you know, targets basically that, the, you know, a, a, 
a biomarker effectively of that disease. But like, should it be delivered? Should it, you know, be delivered sufficiently to actually resolve disease? You know, like those are a lot of open questions or will the ultrasound just chew up the RNA? So I literally did that first experiment in like an evening over a week. I had a, I had a workshop I was doing. So I just, I just did it on a whim in an evening. And honestly, that experiment, that was publication data. Like my first stab in the dark, you know, what concentration RNA do I administer? What, you know, how, how much disease should the animals have? Like there's all these factors you generally have to optimize. I didn't optimize any of those things. I just, I was like, let me try this. And the curve, you know, the data that came out, you know, it was publication quality. And I remember, you know, talking to Bob about this. I, I, I was, a, you know, at that point, a postdoc and my office was, um, I sat basically like a, a door away from Bob and I was telling him about it. And he's like, you know, this is incredible. And I walked away and he's like, wait. And he yelled across the office. He goes, did we deliver mRNA too? And I was like, yeah, Bob, we like, we delivered mRNA even without, you know, without formulation, without the encapsulation and to the GI tract, which is, you know, in, in, in an inhospitable environment that's designed, you know, to chew this stuff up and not take up, you know, these delicate, delicate therapeutics. Um, and so that, you know, that led me to then start thinking about a business. Okay, you know, what would be needed? You know, what would the technology do first? as you pointed out in the quote from Bob, you know, we do view it as a platform. And I, I think that that term is wholly overutilized. Um, but I do think this is truly a platform because we've demonstrated it, you know, in the publication. So we can, we can deliver throughout the GI tract, we can deliver any therapeutic class. And so we wanted to think about, you know, wh what do you do first basically to de-risk the platform and be really smart about it, be capital efficient, you know, and really start building value. So I started doing various accelerator activities at MIT. Um, we did the MIT 100K that we were finalists in. And that basically allowed me to just get a lot of free advice from a lot of smart people, you know, clinicians who were, you know, additional clinicians who were mentors, um, you know, entrepreneurs in the ecosystem, VCs, but still under kind of the, you know, safe umbrella guys of like, I'm a student at MIT, I'm doing the 100K competition, you know, this and that. What's the importance that, of that, the safe umbrella guys? Well, I mean, if you're, you know, if, you, if you're already like outside of, outside of that, you know, you're, you're jobless, you're bootstrapping this, like that's, that can be pretty dire as well. And also, you know, if you don't have, if you're not a student, maybe people are a little less likely to, to speak with you. But if you're a student, you're just trying to learn something more. Um, you know, people are generally, you know, quite uh, quite happy to talk to you and, and lend their advice. Yeah. Um, and that's so that's basically. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, from you know, we started that in in basically like late 2014. So we only officially started the company in 2017. You know, so it was another you know two and a half years of trying to think very methodically and carefully and refining, you know, the business plan and the strategy and, and what a, what a company would do, because again, it's, it's not straightforward, you know, you, the, the science isn't easy, but, you know, the company building is, you know, just as not easy, uh, you know, let's say. 
So I think the movies show, you know, you, you go out, you get your check, you celebrate, you pop the champagne, you're sitting in your big office now, you know, like it's, it's just not like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and Bob has a ton of experience. I mean, that he's spun out, at least in the old case study I read, you know, I don't know, a dozen startup companies or something like that. Oh, it's like 40 plus. It's now. 40 yeah. now. Okay. It's, oh, it's, it's, yeah. And it's funny, like it, it, I actually just, just heard, um, or read another article with him and it and he still said 40 but he's been saying 40 now for like five years so i, I think he's being generous it's you know it's probably like 50 60 or something and so and so he has this experience i mean can, can you speak a bit about some of the the things that he prioritized for instance or the advice that, like was it his, his advice to go to these accelerators as the as the first kind of step or yeah, you know, a, a bit. I'd say, I'd say his 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 advice number one. So Bob is infinitely supportive. You know, everyone views him as, you know, obviously there's just a luminary in the field to say the least. And you know, no one ever thinks that you can just approach a luminary. But at the end of the day, Bob is still an academic, and he's you know by choice spent he spent his career in academia and he loves seeing his trainees succeed he loves seeing them flourish and go on to do what they want to do whether that's you know start a new lab start a company go to industry whatever so whatever you want to do he's, he's incredibly supportive and he'll you know he'll, he'll support you in that with the company piece i'd say his first um you know advice and kind of the, the trademark advice is that platform paper patent so mm -hmm. one you know try and have a platform something that's broader than you know a single product a single asset something that could be really impactful the paper you know it's trying to have a marquee publication that demonstrates you know not that just you have a good data you know good data set but that it went through peer review you know others looked at it and validated hey that you know that is a good data set that is interesting so to have, you know, that marquee publication and then ultimately three patents, right? You need, you need to be able to protect, you know, the, the technology or the platform. Um, and so to have those things. And so, you know, that's what we focused on. We were able to ultimately first publish this technology in science translational medicine, you know, which is just a phenomenal translational uh, journal within the science family. The RNA work, you know, we shot even higher. We published that in the journal Gastroenterology, which is the top GI journal in the world. It has an impact factor of um, you know, over, over 20 now. So you're talking about a similar kind of science nature uh, territory. And that just helps because when you're going out ultimately to you know, hone your plan to you know, pitch VCs, you, you need to have strong and compelling data. And if something's peer reviewed and it's been published, you know, that, that is compelling. And I, and I have to say it's magnificent advice, you know, don't just generate the first curve and try to, you know, try to go get money. Like I think in, uh, I was talking to Gio about this recently. I don't think there's ever been a pitch, you know, VCs will have tons of questions, you know, question this question that I don't think there's ever been a pitch we've done or an investor we've spoken to who had questions about the data you know, who doubted the data or wasn't sure whether it, you know, true, you know, truly worked. That piece is just a given because, you know, to, to Bob's advice, made sure to just publish a number of studies on this 
that are out there that are peer reviewed and in, you know, and in really good journals. And publishing though is quite counterintuitive when with patenting. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it, it is and it, it is and it isn't. You need, you need to have the applications, uh, the, the patent applications filed before you make public disclosures and a publication it is a public disclosure. But as long as you have that in place, um, you know, at least in the, in the U.S. now you have um, uh, the first to file standard. So if you have that, you know, filed, um, you know, you're, you're, you're good. You can, you can then publish. And I'd say particularly in, you know, life science, healthcare space, it is really important, you know, to publish ultimately. You know, it's not, it, it may, I don't know tech, maybe it is hard to make apps, but I think it's probably easier. You know, in health, it's much harder to develop products. You need a lot of time, a lot of data, and you have a really high bar. If you're potentially going to put something into humans, you need to make sure it's safe. And so it's really important to be open um, you know, with, with your data, you know, publish where you can. Obviously, you're not going to be able to publish everything, um, you know, but be really upfront with that. And so it's, there is also a, a, you know, a huge benefit to the publication. Yeah, and it feels like a really good um, company quality, you know, company culture to have to like, I guess, always be looking to publish, right? I mean, you're, you're continuing yeah. to innovate and, and invent, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, you just look at Moderna, I mean, they're, they're a great example of this today. You know, everyone now knows Moderna and, you know, uh, you know BioNTech and Pfizer as well. But, you know, between those groups, I mean, they've, they've largely, you know, <laughs> brought the world, you know, from its knees, you know, back out into the, back out into the sun. And Moderna early on, you know, one of the biggest criticisms was they, they weren't publishing, you know, and, and part of that was just, you know, they, they, you do when you're in, in a company need some time, you know, to kind of build the platform. And there are going to be, you know, trade secrets and various things that, you know, you just, you just can't publish on and you need to kind of mature the tech. And that's what they did. But you look now, you know, did it matter that they didn't publish early on? Well, no, because their their technology was incredibly solid, has you know been rolled out, you know across the world, and has you know knock on wood largely defeated, thankfully now, um, you, you know the, the the pandemic. And when we think about patents, um, were were you? engaged with the with MIT's technology licensing office were you involved in yeah that? so that I mean that's the other piece yeah so MIT just has you know prolific uh, licensing office they do a really good job managing IP um, the inventors are involved you know they help direct kind of what what should be claimed what shouldn't be claimed what can the technology do to try and really draft you know quite broad um, uh, you know, quite broad patents. So I got to work, you know, closely with the TLO. Uh, Lauren Foster uh, within the TLO is just phenomenal uh, to really craft the initial, you know, what would initially 
uh, be the the portfolio ultimately for you know for Suono. So you create that ring fence, and then once the company starts and starts filing material, it gets more specific, and so it's you know kind of the the pickets, if you will, in the fence to really create a solid foundation of IP. But yeah, the the initial is is definitely the you know the academic filing. In my case, obviously from MIT, um, that really goes broad uh, to protect the space ultimately. And did you start to chase non-dilutive funding at this point, NIH or NSF or, and other grants like that? Yeah, so we we got it. We you know we got a lot of these pieces set, and we actually went for venture funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I'd say you know back to back to Bob. I think I think there's a a bit of a misconception in that people you know kind of people see from the exterior and they see Bob starting companies and they assume you know student has an idea and Bob just you know calls up a VC and you know boom checks written and you know you're on your way. But but that's that's not how it is, and I think it's actually to Bob's credit that you know, he, he, he supports his students and he supports us, but he also needs, you know, wants you to kind of build and grow and you need to show that it's, you know, worth its salt um, and can ultimately be a company or, or, or raise around. And so he, you know, he will help you with that. You know, he will support you with that, but you've got to kind of prove it. And that's important because ultimately you know, if the students leading it, you know, they, they need to have a really solid plan. They need to really know there's a company. Two, it's again, just external validation. You know, the publication is one level of validation externally outside of a lab. You know, others have said, yes, you know, this, this data is good or this data is real. But raising around is similarly another validation point and a big validation point. It says, yes, you know, someone else is willing to, you know, actually put their money where their mouth is you know, on this technology. And I think it actually really helps the company start uh, stronger, you know, building a more solid foundation, a more solid plan by having to kind of go through that and build the plan, you know, build the pitch, successfully pitch VCs as opposed to, you know, Bob hypothetically just, you know, calling, calling up someone and, you know, the check gets written and, you know, you're, you're on your way. It's like anything, you, you always start kind of small under the radar and that really allows you to, you know, get very strong uh, and ultimately I think be, be more successful. So, you know, we, we did that. We raised our seed uh, mid 2017 um, from the engine, uh, Polaris and a couple of other investors. And that really got us on, on our way. You know, speaking of the engine, I think we were actually their first investment they officially made. Uh, I was just thrilled to work with, you know, Katie Ray um, and now the other partners, Anne DeWitt, and what they're building at the engine. They're just phenomenal supporters. Um, and, and now as a company, you know, we can chase some of so, uh, some additional, you know, non-dilutive funding as well. You have to be careful with non-dilutive funding. It's great. You know, it's non-dilutive, obviously, but it can be, I, I don't want to say a distraction, but, you know, it it's non-dilutive funding. These grants aren't specifically for building technology or translational technology or, you know, making a company. And so, you know, you sometimes have to write the grant differently than how you would actually do the work at a company. 
And so you do have to kind of be careful with those trade-offs. I mean, you, you could chase grants forever, but they might not be the best path, you know, ultimately for, for a company. It, it, you're saying it's more that the there's less of a focus in these grants on commercial activity or, you know, I guess the dollar signs at the, at the bottom line. And so it, it's more uh, yeah, exploratory. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly right. I mean, in, in our case, for example, the ultrasound, you know, we're, we're a therapeutic company, but the ultrasound, it, it's a device at the end of the day. So there's some technology development. You know, I, I don't think there's a grant out there specifically for say, you know, developing like an ultrasound device to deliver drugs. Now I could, I could find a grant and make the aims fit and I ultimately might be doing, you know, different work than just putting my head down, focusing and building our first ultrasound platform as an example. It's the same with the accelerator competitions. You know, the, the point of an accelerator competition, and, and this will sound really weird, but it's not to win. It's to, you know, grow and hone your plan. And honing your plan might, might mean you realize that it's that it's not a good plan or the technology doesn't work or it's not a company and that's okay. You know, but you're honing and refining. When I say it, you know, the goal isn't to win. It's really because when you look at these competitions, you know, the hundred K we were finalists in, in that competition, but who were we competing against? Well, it was generic companies, right? It's just a, ultimately it's kind of a, it's a business plan competition. Um, so you're competing against apps, you're competing against, you know, kind of hardware, you know, non-life science, energy companies, all this stuff. And ultimately, you know, I think the winner was like an app or something. And, you know, for, for fair reasons, they can create a product in six months, they can start generating revenue uh, in eight months and, you know, go on their way. Uh, you you want to be careful about not trying to chase the win. We, I could have done a lot of artificial work to create maybe a, a more compelling business plan for the sake of this competition, but that wouldn't be what Suono would want to execute on, wouldn't be the business plan that Suono you know, would operate on. And so you do have to be careful with you know, non-dilutive funding, with accelerators, to make sure you're still doing relevant work to what the company you know, would ultimately do, rather than you know, getting an artificial win or you know, you know, just, just putting something on paper that looks attractive, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I don't know how long ago, it sounds like it was about six or seven years ago, but I mean, how, how close to that plan has Suono followed on its trajectory? I mean, do you remember some elements of that plan yeah. and, and, and yeah, even so yeah, distilled kind of higher level ideas on, on best practices for that? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say we followed fairly closely so we, you know, early on triaged a large landscape of disease indications that we could go after, you know, to, to start basically. So knowing that kind of inflammatory bowel disease, you know, would be a huge, uh, a huge piece to solve. But with a platform trying to be very strategic to layer on complexity. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a device component, it's a new delivery technology you know, let's start with an old drug, let's say, let's not do, you know, new delivery and new drug, like an RNA, just from the get go, you know, let's layer it on. So we start with an old drug, we can, you know, 
create a better treatment option for patients in various indications. And so doing this landscape analysis, you know, found the indication of ulcerative colitis that can be our lead, you know, to de-risk the platform, you know, hopefully get it into the patients, get it ultimately approved. And then the next product layers on complexity. You layer on now a, a, a novel therapeutic, like a biologic, and ultimately layer on to RNAs. You know, you can just grab an RNA off the shelf and start developing that. And you don't need to do any formulation workup, um, uh, you know, any lipid encapsulation, anything like that. But you you start very carefully trying to trying to de-risk um, while building that value. So we. We did that triage, found our indication, uh, did initial work to still build out the, the patent landscape and the patent portfolio. Um, and I think that set us up for, you know, for, for success and now really just, you know, running really hard uh, towards, uh, towards first and human in our, in our first indication. Very cool. And while we're on this kind of topic, actually, could you explain the difference in the technology between tethered and topical? Yeah, so, so, so it's, it, it can be synonymous. So most people think of topical as, you know, on the skin. Um, what, what we say or how we use it is any local delivery to a tissue. So if I'm doing local you know, administration to the GI tract or to the colon for some of these indications, I would refer to that as topical as well. You know, you're applying a drug right on the tissue you want to deliver it to. We have the idea of various form factors, one of which is a tethered system. So this would be something that could be passed uh, through a colonoscope or an endoscope. Oh, and now, a gastroenterologist over the course of what is traditionally a you know largely a diagnostic procedure a colonoscopy or an endoscopy could now pass a tethered system uh, with ultrasound deploy the ultrasound and now administer drug over the course of a diagnostic procedure so now you took a diagnostic procedure and and made it a you know a a, a, a treatment procedure ultimately you know this is one of the things that got uh, fujifilm interested who's a you know, a, a strategic investor in Swono. You know, they have drugs. Not a lot of people know about that. They have devices. They have endoscopes, colonoscopes. You know, wouldn't they love to have a tethered system that you could pass through a, a colonoscope? And now a doctor uh, could start delivering drugs right when they're diagnosing things. You know, that would be huge. Yeah, you can think about it having several different types of drugs depending on what it finds once it's in there. Exactly, right? exactly. And the delivery is such that it's agnostic to the drug. So you don't need to change anything about the ultrasound, you know, based on what drug you want to deliver. That's super cool. And and so you, I mean, again, I'm, I'm always curious about the formation and the trajectory of these things. So you and Geo start pushing this thing forward um, it sounds like you had another kind of a co-founder from a, as a life sciences, who was a life sciences VC join. Um, was it you and Geo most of this time for f several years, kind of pushing things forward, continuing to de-risk, working on patents, yeah, things I mean, like that? I, I mean, definitely Bob too. I mean, Bob's been there, you know, hundred percent of the way. I don't, I don't know how he does it. I, I just think I, there's like three of him cloned or something. He keeps the other two, you know, hidden in the closet or something, but, or he doesn't sleep, but. 
I mean, he, he's right there. I mean, you know, thinking about drafting now patent applications as the company, you know, with the company's um, IP council, you know, reviewing those, thinking about, you know, the, the, the core application, you know, that was a huge piece of it, really triaging. And, you know, what's that first indication you go after? Do you do this stepping stone approach? You know, do kind of smaller indications first, or do you go straight for kind of the home run, but which is, you know, more risky? You know, we're doing sort of stepping stone and now really head down for uh, ulcerative colitis uh, and, and, and just, you know, pushing it forward that way. And there's, you know, there's not great days and there's, you know, and there's better days. You know, sometimes experiments don't work, uh, things like that. That's a not great day, you know, but then getting, you know, a strategic, uh, a strategic investor like a Fujifilm or an NGK NTK, which is another, uh, you know, phenomenal Japanese uh, med device uh, company, you know, getting groups like that bought in, you know, those are good days then, obviously, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so, yeah. And, and the importance of these strategics, I mean, they validate it. They have a much larger platform to be able to export your technology. I mean, do you learn from them in a lot of ways? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they have just, you know, a global footprint, global operational capabilities. Uh, you learn from them because they have just, you know, phenomenal R&D capabilities, obviously. Um, and I'd say, you know, that early on is another key piece of company formation, you know, trying to get a partnership. Because one, that, that can be often be sort of, you know, non-dilutive, so to speak, uh, uh, cash, you know, some sort of collaboration it's incredibly validating as well. And ultimately can really help you steer towards, you know, a, a lean path towards, you know, creating a product. You know, companies don't really care about doing research necessarily for the, for the sake of research. And so really honing and keeping you focused on driving towards, you know, making a product ultimately, uh, you know, and in the case of you know, healthcare and life sciences, you know, a product that, you know, can, can go into people and, and be really impactful and important for them. And, and so that was something you pursued in an early stage was uh, a partnership, a collaboration agreement with a large industrial player. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have Fujifilm involved as a, as a strategic investor, you know, I met them fairly early, um, you know, through MIT, um, you know, and, it, and, and we just kind of kept that conversation going. Um, and ultimately, you know, did, did lead to, to an investment and they've been a great group to, you know, get to have here, get to, you know, advise the company, um, get to see the way they think about problems and how they do things. So, I mean, it's been, you know, tremendous validation for the company, but then also just great, you know, learning and sort of mentorship uh, from them as well. It's amazing. It, it, it continues to be underscored the importance of engaging industry at an early stage. Exactly. Um, exactly. That, that is critical. That is critical. And so you're really a long way away from being a PhD student and a postdoc negotiating deals with Fujifilm. And I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. Some days it doesn't feel like it. But yeah, I guess you know, time wise. Yeah, it's, it's funny as much, you know, things stay the same. They, you know, they change. It's, you know, running, running a company can be not this similar to a PhD. You know, you got a board that's like your, you know, your thesis committee. You know, you got to convince them that, 
you know, what you're doing is right. You got to get other people to buy in. You want to do a collaboration. You know, you got to get that person to, to, to buy in and bring their resources. In this case, you know, in the case of companies, now another company and, you know, their resources are, you know, cash or capabilities. Um, so it's, it's funny. There's, there's some, you know, analogies to kind of doing a PhD. But yeah, I'm uh, qu quite, quite a bit removed now, I guess, from the bench. And if you were quite a bit removed from the bench, I like that. And so if you had to give advice to that younger PhD student or, you know, at that stage, maybe in your life, what would you say to young Carl Scholler? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, talk to clinicians and, and patients when you can as early as possible, because ultimately, you know, your mouse isn't giving you feedback. The other, you know, cell culture isn't giving you feedback. And there's a lot of things you can do that, again, just, you know, don't have relevance to the clinic. So as early on as you can talking to these folks, you're going to gain and learn a tremendous amount that's only going to accelerate, ultimately, you know, your research and what you do in your, your, and your technology development. Amazing. And any other pieces of wisdom for young grad students, entrepreneurs, anything else you want to say? Just, you know, just, just the usual, it, it sounds cliche, but it is a long, hard struggle. Um, and, you know, don't, don't be dissuaded when you see success from others. Just remember that it's, you know, it's always the iceberg effect. Right. Any success you see of, of someone else, it's just that little tip above the surface. And there was a whole lot of failure and a whole lot of struggle and a whole lot of, you know, other stuff that that person had to, you know, slog through and go through. And so, you know, when, when you're similarly kind of slogging through things, just remember, like everyone else is, even the ones that look the shiniest and the fanciest and the most award winning, like they're, they're, they're slogging too, you know, so you just, you just got to grind. Right. Keep on keeping on. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Carl, I think it's a yeah, great place to is. stop. Um, where can people find you if you're open to that to, to reach out? Yeah. So I, I would say check out, uh, check out the Sonobio website, sonobio.com. Um, I have a, a meager Twitter presence, but a little bit of a, a presence, uh, CMBS6 uh, on Twitter. And, you know, I, I'm sure my email is, is you know, tracked track downable. Um, anyone wants to reach out, you know, certainly send me a note. I'd be happy to answer back or find me on LinkedIn. Amazing. Carl Schollhammer from Suono Bio. Thanks very much for joining. Yeah. Thanks, Max. Pleasure speaking with you. Yep. Visit bountiful.work for more. Thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. But now we need your help. We're building a community of scientists, students, entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors to commercialize meaningful technology and research. Join us at Bountiful.Work today to find opportunities and realize your power to save the world.